Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to the NACA podcast. This is Doug Church, Deputy Director of Public Affairs at the NACA National Office in Washington, D.C. And my guest today is NACA member Jerry O'Gorman from Fresno, California. Uh, Jerry is the FAC rep at Fresno, uh, F-A-T, the three-letter identifier. Jerry, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Doug. So, Jerry, you've had a just an amazing story here and, and, a, and a miraculous one uh, in a lot of respects. Um, we I noticed this on Facebook just this week. You posted a photo on Monday, July 29th. Uh, you, you, you're shirtless and you have a scar that looks to be about seven or eight inches long in the middle of your chest running from uh, sort of the bottom of your, your throat down to uh, you know, past the rib, into the rib cage there. Uh, tell us about this surgery that you had just two weeks ago. Uh, so two weeks ago, I had a um, aortic valve replacement and a uh, aortic aneurysm replacement as well. So they did a full sternotomy and uh, put a bunch of plastic and metal parts in me. So this was a, uh, you correct me if I'm wrong, so this is called the, uh, the, uh, the part of the heart called the bicuspid, or the, the condition is a bicuspid aortic valve, is that correct? Yeah, so the condition that caused uh, the issues that I had, um, I was born with, uh, your aortic valve um, is supposed to have three leaflets, uh, two of mine were fused together at birth uh, for whatever reason, um, and then a sig- that affects about 2% of the population, and then I think about 30 to 40% of people with bicuspid valves end up de- uh, developing aneurysms, which typically can be the, the most dangerous part of the whole uh, condition. And an aneurysm, uh, for, just for everybody out there, uh, just to educate them on, on what that is and how that occurs? Yeah, so the, um, the aorta is your largest artery uh, coming out of your heart. Um, it goes up um, away from your heart, supplies the blood to your to your brain and then goes down to your stomach mm-hmm. um so the actual artery an aneurysm is when the actual artery starts to um expand like a balloon and just like a balloon um once it expands too far it's gonna burst so let's take a step back here so i, I was talking with you before we started recording and i mentioned that the last time i think that i spoke with you was during the shutdown uh, as the FAC rep at Fresno, you were one of many FAC reps around the country who were doing media interviews um, and talking about the effects that the shutdown was having. Um, so we know that, that this had, this condition had come up after the shutdown, right? And, and it was in the course of uh, some of the workouts that you were doing. You're very active and, and very fit. Yeah, um, so it's been probably actually – for several months, uh, probably starting at the end of last year, um, I kind of just noticed something was wrong. Um, I'm generally, I, I run quite a bit. I've done a few half marathons. I go into the gym has always been a part of uh, my weekly routine. Um, and I started to notice that things with my heart just didn't feel right. Uh-huh. Um, and I did have some doctors kind of tip me off saying that, um, I may have a, a slight murmur. Um, but none of the doctors were ever concerned about it. So uh, shortly after the shutdown in February, um, I was running on the treadmill like I always do and uh, noticed some chest pains. So kind of just um, after thinking about it a lot, kind of just said, enough's enough. Let's go get this checked out. Mm-hmm. So I went to the emergency room and uh, did a full workup on me and sent me on my way, said I was fine. 
So the very next day I went back, started running the treadmill again, and pain started again, and just kept on running. So you uh, know your body mind, better than anybody else, of course, and you knew that, that something had to have been going on. Absolutely. Um, you know, it, it was kind of difficult because I knew that once I pulled the trigger on something like this, um, my medical was going to be gone. Hmm. So, I mean, that, that weighed pretty heavily in the back of my mind. Um, you know, just like everybody else, my my life and my wife's life and my children's life is based on that swing, swing, day, day, mid. And I knew that once um, once I went to the doctor to get this uh, looked at, that that was not going to be the case for a little while at least. Uh-huh. So uh, once I got things kind of squared away, um, I went to my, I, I changed doctors, um, got a second opinion and went to a cardiologist and was this Here in Fresno, or did you get a referral to somewhere uh, else in, in, in Northern California? Um, so it was all in Fresno, and then once the the cardiologist, it took him about 30 seconds of listening. Um, he knew exactly what was going on. Um, once he told me I, I needed surgery, um, I went and I got um, some extra opinions and then ended up going to uh, going with Stanford with one of the top doctors for this condition. Hmm. What is the doctor's name? Uh, Dr. Michael Fishbein, he's the director for thoracic aortic uh, surgery at Stanford University. Okay. And how long has he been doing this type of surgery? Oh, I don't know, um, probably 20 years or so. Um, yeah, I, I did a lot of research once I got diagnosed, and yeah. I kept coming up with his name on, on YouTube and huh. watching his presentations and things like that, so... And at this, it was just, it was pretty impressive to me, the, the level of knowledge and um, everything that he's, that he was able to bring to the table. Um, I met with some local surgeons that were very, very talented here too, but um, the thing that impressed me with him was he was willing to go in there with plan A, B, C, and D uh-huh. and figure out what exactly he was going to do once he saw the condition, whereas all the local surgeons here, they wanted to go in with one plan, replace it all, and move on. So that certainly made a lot of sense to you, uh, how he wanted to approach it. Absolutely. I mean, going in with someone that's not going to, you know, be tied down and <clears throat> be able to actually look at things and, and spare as much of my natural parts as possible is definitely a, a plus. Sorry, I, get, I still get a little out of breath with, uh, <laughs> with talking uh, this far. Talking is just, you know, like, the one thing that gets me um part of the 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 hardest part of the recovery so far hasn't been really the heart issues my heart actually feels great um the blood flow has increased the it was enlarged before and now it's actually back to a normal size already um but the lungs being shut down for a little over six hours has been the biggest uh part of the recovery so that that was the the part of the surgery where you run a, a heart, a, a lung machine, You're doing the breathing yes. for you. Okay. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's been probably the, the toughest thing to overcome so far. Okay. Yeah. Jerry, you're 39 years old. Is that correct? That's correct. And, and have you always been active, either sports, running and so forth throughout your life? Yeah, pretty much. Um, probably with the, after my first child was born, I was probably a little inactive for a little while, but, uh, for a good five, six years, I've been, a pretty big runner, weightlifter, um, play sports. I coach my uh, little girl's softball team. Um, definitely a 
being active as a part of my family's life for sure. Okay, and and how, and this was the first time in February that you had experienced that that kind of pain and in, in that kind of area of, of your of your body. Yeah, that's correct. So, what was the date that the that the surgeon in, in, at Stanford told you that you would be having surgery and and uh, and, and start to look ahead to July fifteenth? Um, so the the other surgeons, uh, the, the surgeon at Stanford was actually the last surgeon I met with, um, and the other two, uh, along with my cardiologist, wanted it uh, suggested it be done very quickly. So based on everything that was going on in my life and everything. That first couple of weeks of July was kind of set in my head. Okay. Um, the surgeon at Stanford um, actually said that he would be willing to wait because um, my aneurysm was somewhere between 4.4 and 4.7 centimeters, and the general guideline for surgery is five. Hmm. Um, but coupled with some other some other issues, the the degree to which the valve was leaking and the enlargement of, of my heart, um, he agreed that it should be done sometime this year. Um, but since I already had July in my head, and uh, also the fact that you know I, I want to, my medical was pulled at the end of April. Okay. Um, and then, uh, you know, uh, based on the advice of AMAS, who's been amazing, um, great service that uh, great benefit that NACA provides. And that's the the, the aviation uh, medical uh, uh, specialist, correct? Yeah. Yeah, the aviation medical advisory service. Um, you know, the, the flight surgeon doesn't give you very much information. I'm sure that doesn't surprise very many people. But AMAS, you know, walks you through everything. And even though it is just advisory, they, the, the information they give is, is priceless. Um, but based on their information, um, they're telling me that um, somewhere between three to six months after surgery is the earliest I can get my medical back and start talking to airplanes again. So um, I wanted to get it done. I wanted to not tempt fate and put my job in jeopardy. So Sure. Getting it, getting it done as fast as possible was, was definitely um, high on my priority list. So yeah, we picked the, the January, uh, the July fifteenth date, um, and uh, went from there. Now your your wife's name is is Kara, correct? That's correct. Yeah. And you have three kids. Uh, what are their yep. ages and names? Uh, Addison is nine, Gia is six, and Dax is three. Okay. How have they been doing through all of this and and uh, being there for you? Oh, they've been amazing. Um, it was kind of difficult. Uh, Stanford is about, you know, depending on traffic, anywhere between three and six hours away from <laughs> my house. But uh, um, I had to, uh, my wife, I got her an Airbnb for the week. Um, we planned for seven days. Um, combination of friends and family took care of the kids. Mm. Um, they did great. Uh, they came up and visited me once. Um, I was most worried about my, my three-year-old son because, you know, he and I, uh, we spent a lot of time roughhousing. Sure. But, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we talked to him beforehand, and he's been he's been really good. and Taking it easy uh, on you. <laughs> yeah, he has. <laughs> Hopefully not too much longer, though. I'll be back rolling around on the floor with him. Now, as I mentioned, uh, I learned of, of what you had been going through through Facebook, and you've uh, shared a lot of details and uh, – and a lot of uh, a lot of moments, and it, it looked like you had a, a, a you, you all took a family vacation to Hawaii in June. Um, you tell me about that and the time that you spent with your family before the surgery. Yeah, so um, <clears throat> this year was going to be a, a big year for us. It was uh, my wife and I celebrated our ten year anniversary. Oh, congratulations! Um, turned, thank you. Um, I turned forty in November, 
and uh, this is the first year in nine years we haven't had any diapers in the house. So <laughs> um, we uh, decided, I, I convinced my wife um, at the end of last year to take a big uh, week-long trip to Maui in July. Um, and we were supposed to leave um, the Friday after when I had my surgery. So once we had the, schedule, uh, the surgery schedule and everything, I canceled that trip and um, I was able to squeeze in a few days in Hawaii um, at the end of June. <clears throat> just because I, I knew that the, once the surgery happened, that you know my kid's summer was going to be pretty much shot. So yeah, wanted to squeeze in as much as I could beforehand, and you know, it was it was amazing. Um, not only just to get my mind off of what was you know about to happen, but you know just spending that time with my family and um, having that uh, pretty awesome moment in a, in a wonderful place like that was uh, was pretty awesome. So that trip alone made our our summer one to remember. That's wonderful. Jerry, I, I imagine that an experience like this leads somebody uh, to really kind of feel very fortunate, obviously, and very, very blessed for what you have and, and the gifts that you have and the family you have. puts a lot of things in perspective. Uh, I imagine you've had a lot of time to reflect on these kind of things the last couple of weeks. Uh, what, what is on your mind about that? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's 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 definitely changed perspectives in, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, even though the going into the surgery is just got like a 98 or 99% success rate. Um, you know, they, I, I still knew that the, my chest was going to be cracked open and a human being was going to have my heart in his hands, literally. <laughs> yeah. Um, huh. and I, I was going to be for six to eight hours reliant on machines to do my job of keeping me alive for me. So, um, it definitely was uh, something to put me in perspective. And also, too, I, you know, I've never been disabled in my life. I've never broken a bone. Uh, never had major surgery of any kind. Um, so just the thought of being disabled for a little while afterwards, which hasn't happened, um, fortunately, um, that was pretty uh, pretty taxing, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's made me value my time with my kids, for sure. Um, it's... Uh, you know, I, I used to think I, I love the shift work that I do, and it's made me kind of value the fact that uh, shift work isn't really the best for family life, <laughs> <laughs> um, even though I do miss talking airplanes. Um, it has put it in perspective, you know, the, the the things that really matter in life, for sure. Absolutely. What, what is your recovery time now and, and the uh, some physical therapy and so forth that you have coming up? You know, um, they kind of left me on my own. Um, when I left the hospital, the, the Stanford uh, did, did a phenomenal job. Um, all the different people that helped me, physical therapy, occupational therapy, um, all of them, you know, I was up and walking the day after. Um, they all told me that my, my biggest um, obstacle is going to be doing too much too fast. But it's also, I've, I'm, I'm way ahead of schedule on so, on so many things that they told me I wouldn't be able to do. Um, so it's just been a constant reminder of, you know, just sit down and, and just let it, let, let your body heal. Um, but they, you know, they, they say, um, three to three to four months really until you're really back to normal. Um, although I, I'm probably feeling about 80% now. Okay. So really in work. actuality, it was your level of fitness and activity that led to the discovery of this problem and then getting it fixed. And it, it is also your level of fitness that's going to get you, you know, back in the tower quicker, I would suspect. Right. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of the the way I see it too. Um, the 
the, the level of activity um, may have forced the aneurysm to grow faster, which caused more problems. But also, you know, having the surgery in your 30s, you know, the, the, the time to bounce back is going to be much, much quicker than having it in your 50s or 60s. Sure. Let me ask you one more question about about your about this, and, and that would be the the Bicuspid Aortic Foundation, a an organization that you've been promoting on Facebook and raising money for throughout the last several weeks. Uh, what can you tell us about that foundation and the uh, the importance of the work that they do, which uh, I believe is pretty obvious here? Yeah, so I, you know, I think a lot of the um, a lot of the timeline that I that I uh, went over with everything was a little bit skewed. Maybe I should go back. And- give that again but um as far as the foundation goes um so once once i learned of this you know i I was kind of it was blindsided i had no idea um so i started reaching out to you know different facebook groups um which has been incredible the social media brings people together in so many different ways and i'm a a member of three different um, groups with people just with with these types of things um and hearing people's individual stories um it's, there's nothing better than that. Um, doctors don't understand things as well as the people who go through it in, in many ways. Uh-huh. Um, so through some of those groups, um, somebody had uh, mentioned the Bicuspid Aortic Foundation. So you know, I was going back and forth. My wife and I, we, we talked to different surgeons. Every Everybody I talked to had, had different opinions on what I should do. Um, there was you know, some big choices to be made. There's the valve that I chose is uh, mechanical. Um, one of the options was going to be tissue. Um, there, there was other procedures too. Um, so I was, you know, I was kind of lost. And you know, I, even though I became a an internet expert, which you know doctors love when you do that, yeah. but uh, <laughs> um, I still was was kind of torn. So um, I ended up reaching out to this Bicuspid Aortic Foundation. I sent I sent them an email the very next day. Um, the director uh, gave me a phone call and spent about an hour on the phone with me. Um, and she came to, to, to start this foundation, and she's got um, several doctors on the on her board, um, international doctors as well. Um, some retired and some still practicing. Um, and uh, her, hus- so her husband um, had the same condition I had. He had three open heart surgeries and uh, didn't make it past the third. Oh boy! Um, yeah, and, and also this is a the condition I have is, is very um, hereditary. So several members of her family as well have have this condition as well. Okay. Um, as far as I know, so far um, I haven't found anybody in my family yet, but there's probably somebody along the line. Uh-huh. So anyway, she um, she spent all this time talking to me, um, telling me you know what to expect everything and then um decided to um hook me up with one of the doctors on her board um who is a retired surgeon Uh, his name is dr reesey he started out at cedar sinai down in la and then um basically retired out of uh, providence st john's in uh, santa monica okay um so this retired um world-class surgeon um gave me a phone call the very next day um walked me through everything um, I emailed him all of my tests that I already had. He gave me advice. He actually ordered more tests down in L.A. at, at the labs that he liked to use huh. uh, for me um, and then reviewed everything for me, gave me his advice, and then gave me his list of surgeons that he would be comfortable with. Um, and that's ultimately how I found uh, Dr. Fishbein at Stanford. 
because basically um, it was either Dr. Fishburne at Stanford or taking a, a plane ride to Cleveland or Minneapolis to Mayo or Cleveland Clinic. It certainly sounds like you got some, some wonderful care. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. it was, uh, yeah, I, we, you know, I, I, for a brief second thought about going to Cleveland just because, you know, why shortchange myself if they're the best and go to the best, but uh, I'm, I'm very happy with my decision. Sure. Um, well, let me ask you finally uh, about your experience at, at Fresno, because you have been there. Uh, how long have you been working there? Uh, Eleven years. That's my first facility and probably my last. Okay. And you were the vice president from 2008 to 2011, is that correct? Yeah. And then became the FAC rep uh, September of 2011? Sounds about right. So uh, coming up on uh, eight-year anniversary of that, which uh, I don't have all the facts in front of me, but it would seemed to me that you would be one of the longest serving fat reps that we have around the country and certainly in the western pacific region uh is that something i think that uh, you take a lot of pride in i think um absolutely um you know it's i love uh, i love doing doing the job as fat rep i love representing my members um i put as much into it as i can you know i, I fell into it i wasn't i wasn't i never sought the job um i was just kind of the only one there that would accept the, the, the duty eight years ago. Okay. Um, but now it's, you know, it's my love for the, for the union and my facility has, has grown so much. Um, you know, it's, it's been a, it's been a great ride. So these last three weeks not being in my facility has been kind of, uh, kind of strange for me. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how many members do you have? Uh, probably at 31 at this point. Okay. And, yeah. and, and given what we know about the NACA family and sticking together through thick and thin, I imagine that the support you've received from your brothers and sisters has been tremendous. Oh yeah. It's been, it's been fantastic. Um, you know, from, from the, the messages on Facebook to the phone calls, texts, everything, um, you know, the, the NACA family is, is amazing. Um, all those little things, um, although they're so, so small, mean, mean, a, mean a lot for sure. Okay. Well, Jerry, it is so good to hear your voice and so wonderful to hear the success of the surgery that you had. And and I know I speak for everybody at the national office and around the country when I extend to you our very best wishes for a speedy recovery and uh, getting you back in the tower as soon as possible. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us and thank you for your time. Thank you, Doug. All right. Take care.